0: The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. I'm glad you're here worshiping the Lord together. It's good to be able to do that. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 again this morning, looking at verses 8 through 10, which could be some of the more famous verses in all of Scripture, really, often quoted. So, once again, feeling inadequate to preach them this morning, but trusting God's grace through it. I don't know how familiar you are with catechisms. We've been talking about them once we get Children's Church back up and running. They'll be going through a catechism, teaching the kids uh, truths about God's word. One of the things that catechisms does is it asks a question. Usually, and then it gives you an answer, and then it backs up that answer with Scripture, and it's helpful because it just puts things in your mind and your memory that are are good to know and that are good to remember. And the Westminster Catechism asks this question as its first question. The question is, what is the chief end of man? I'd have you ponder that for a little bit. If you're a catechism person, you might know the answer right off the bat. But the answer that it gives is this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This is why we are on the earth. This is what we are supposed to do as humans. And so we wonder then, how do we, how do, we do this? How can we achieve this? Is this? If this is our end, this is what we're supposed to be doing, how does that, how does that take place? Well, in thinking about that, uh, I started to wonder, how many commands does the New Testament have? And I said New Testament on, on purpose. Uh, because I want us not to have any excuse to say, well, that's the Old Testament. We live in a time of the New Testament. And so I actually was kind of concerned because I thought this is going to be difficult to try to find all the commands in the New Testament. This doesn't cause me a lot of work to have to go through the New Testament and find these commands. But oddly enough, it's really not oddly enough, but oddly enough, it was all over the place. I found it everywhere. It was very easy. It was very easy to find people compiling lists of the commands of the new Testament. And I think the reason for that is that is where our mind goes. When we think of the question, how can I glorify God? How can I enjoy him forever? Well, I need to do what he tells me to do, and then he'll be, he'll be happy with me. And so today I have a list here. I'm not going to read all these, but I'm going to read some of them of 1050 new Testament commands. Now, I don't know if you knew there was that many thousand and fifty at least that's if this guy got them all, which I don't know if he did. Uh, but I want to share some of these with you, and I am going to share this longer than you would like. I want to warn you about that. I'm going to share more than you would want me to to share. But I, I want you to hear these as we think about how do we glorify God? How do we how do we make God happy? Because if if we ask questions this morning, I think this is relevant. How do you make mom happy today? What are you going to to do to make mom happy? A list of things to do is what comes in your mind. It might be just leave her alone. Number one, don't, nothing else. There's nothing else on the list. That's what my wife said. If you just leave, leave me alone. <clears throat> all right. <laughs> one thing. But that's what we think about when we're trying to honor somebody, if we're trying to glorify somebody, if we want to make somebody happy, it's, well, then what can we do for them? And so the Bible tells us all kinds of things that we can do for God and things that we shouldn't do uh, for him as well. And so just just listen to these. And... Really what I want you to do is to feel the weight the weight of these as I as I share them because remember uh, Paul is writing to the church and a lot of these that are being shared is to the is to the church. So two things to awake for, awake to righteousness, awake to life. There's 74 times that it says be, I'm not going to read them all, but be exceedingly glad, be reconciled to a brother, be perfect, be wise as serpents, be harmless as doves, be ready for Christ's coming. Be content with your wages. Be merciful as God. Be like faithful servants. Be thankful. Be at peace among selves. Be no partaker of sin. Be sober in hope. Be sober and pray. Be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, charity, and patience. Be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient young women. Be of good cheer. Be baptized. Be fervent in spirit. Be patient in tribulation. Be given to hospitality. Be afraid if lawless. Be followers of Paul as he followed Christ. Be followers of God. Be followers of the faithful and patient. Be not children in understanding. Be steadfast. Be unmovable. Be always abounding in good work, in God's work. Be filled with the Spirit. Be like-minded. Be one of accord. Be anxious for nothing. Be an example to believers in word, conversation, charity, spirit, faith, and purity. Be a partaker of Christian sufferings. Be content with what you have. Be doers of the word. Be afflicted and mourn. Be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility. Be diligent to be found in peace. Be faithful to death. Be zealous and repent. Be not troubled. Be not conceited. Be not overcome of evil. Be not mere servants of men. Be not children in understanding. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Be not unwise about God's will. Be not forgetful of strangers. Scripture gives us two classes that we're supposed to bless. We bless those who curse us. Bless persecutors. There's six classes of people that we're supposed to honor. Honor our fathers. Honor our mothers. Honor others. Honor widows. Indeed, honor all people. Honor kings and rulers. Four things to flee from. Flee from fornication. Flee from idolatry. Flee from hurtful lusts. Flee from youthful lusts. Gives us 10 do's. Do good to them that hate you. Do to others what you expected them. Do violence to no man. Do good. Do this. Uh, Put God first and live. Do all to God's glory. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. Do those things which were seen and heard in me. Do your own business. Do the work of an evangelist. We also have 10 do nots. Do not alms before people. Do not sound trumpet before when giving alms. Do not, do not do works of Pharisees. Do not love in word only. Do not give heed to fables. Do not give heed in genealogies. Do not err. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not fashion self according to former lusts. Lay aside wickedness. Lay aside malice. Lay aside all guile. All hypocrisies. All envies. All evil speaking. Have faith. Have no fellowship with darkness. Have no respect of persons. Have honest conversation. Have compassion. Have a good conscience. Have fervent love. Keep yourself pure. Keep the gospel commandments until Christ comes. Keep the good entrusted you. Keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself in God's love. Hold Christian traditions. Hold faith. Hold a good conscience. Hold fast sound doctrine. Hold fast till Christ comes. Hold fast when you have. Go and teach. Go and preach. Let your light shine. Let your conversation be yea or nay. Let everyone deny themselves. Let him take up a cross. Let let your love be genuine. Let everyone obey the civil laws. Let everyone choose his own Sabbath day. Let no man deceive himself. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Let no man seek wealth selfishly. I'm afraid to look up. There might not be anybody here. Let all things be done to edifying. Let the mind of Christ be in you. Let your moderation be known. Let no one rob you of your reward by some vain religion. Let peace rule the heart. Let the word dwell in you. Let speech be with grace. Let no man despise youth. Let rebels to truth remain ignorant. Let all things be done in decent order. Let everyone give as God prospers. Let everyone prove their own work. Let no corrupt conversation come from your mouth. Let the wives be subject to their husbands. Let the husbands love their wives. Let your conversation and behavior be becoming of the gospel. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Let patience work perfectly. Let one who lacks, ask for wisdom, let eternal life abide in you. Let not your left hand know what your right hand does. Let not sin reign in the body. Let not him that eateth not judge him that does. Let not the sun go down on wrath. Let not fornication, uncleanliness, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talking and jesting be mentioned among you as becometh the saints. Let us walk honestly. Let us cast off works of darkness. let us put on armor of light. Let us please neighbor for good. Let us be sincere. Let us do good to all people. Let us do good, especially to fellow Christians. Let us run our race with patience. Let us want love one another. Let us not walk in rioting, not walk in drunkenness or in chambering or wantonness or strife or envying. Let us not judge one another in doubtful things. Let us not cause others to stumble. Love your enemies. Love your fellow Christians. Love the brotherhood. Love your brother. Two things not to love. Do not love the world. Do not love the things in the world. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on kindness and humility, meekness, long suffering, and love. Prove yourself. Prove what is acceptable to God. Prove all things. Rejoice in hope. Rejoice in blessings of others. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the suffering of Christ. Stand in faith. Stand in liberty. Stand in one spirit, one mind. Stand in the Lord. Seek the kingdom first. Seek God in prayer. Seek to edify the church. Seek things above. Skip that section. Here's just some random ones. Abhor what is evil. Bear one another's burdens. Bring your children up in the Lord. Confess your faults one to another. Count it joy when you are tempted. Earnestly contend for the faith. Fear not. Fight the good fight of faith. Grow in grace and knowledge. Humble yourselves. Lay not up your treasures on earth. Lay up your treasures in heaven. Lift up the hands that hang down. Redeem the time. Reject heretics. Provoke not your children to wrath. Sell to help the needy. Show yourself as a pattern. Swear not. Trust God for your needs as you work. Understand the will of God. Watch and pray. Work with your own hands. Yield not your members to sin. Yield your members to righteousness. I mean, I I didn't highlight half of them. It might feel like it but I didn't. And so again, when I'm asking this question, how do I make God happy? This is where we often go. When we look in the Bible, we look for what are the things that I must do to make him happy? What are the things that I can do to glorify him and to honor him? Because that's what I, that's what I need to be doing. And if you're anything like me, when you hear this, maybe as a teen growing up in church or as a kid growing through children's church, going through all these things, or as somebody who was pretty faithful to attend almost all church services, are you, you hear these things. And again, if you're like me, it's extremely heavy. It's extremely weighty. Because I know how I act when I leave this building. I, I know what happens at home. I know how my parents act. I know how my siblings act. I know how other kids in the youth group act. I know the truth about how they act. The youth pastor might not, but I do. Because I go to school with them. As you get older, I thought it would change, but it doesn't it still continues to feel extremely heavy. And when you look at all these rules, when you look at all these commands that God tells us to do to honor him and to, and to glorify him, again, if I'm being honest, it seems impossible and it definitely does not seem enjoyable. There's some of you here today, maybe just because your mom asked you to come. It's Mother's Day and you're sitting there saying amen to that. That's all I've heard. That's, that is exactly what I think when I think of the Christian faith. And it is not enjoyable. Actually, it drains life out of everything. Right? It's just not very fun. Yet, the truth of the matter is we cannot escape that God has given us these commands. That's, again, why I specifically went to the New Testament and wanted those commands. These are New Testament commands that have been directed to the church. And so... We have to ask the question, how is this done? How can I, in my life, glorify God in all things? How can I, in my life, enjoy him forever? Because again, this is just being fair, when you read this list of rules, I find it hard to enjoy being in the presence of God forever. Because I can't follow this list. I I struggle with it still to to this day. I struggle with it even at this moment. But hopefully we've grown to understand as we went through Ephesians and as we look at our stuff that we're going to look at today, the scripture we're going to look at today. What we need is we must experience the work of God in our life. Because as God works in our life, we are actually able to enjoy God forever. We are able to glorify him in everything we say in everything that we do. But apart from him, this is completely impossible. Romans 8, 8 tells us that. It says those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so some of you this morning, you might be sitting here and you listen to that list and you think I'm gonna do my best to do that so that I can please God. If you have not been saved by his grace, if you're not a child of God, you can't please him. It's not doable. It's not something that you can go and and achieve and accomplish. You you just can't do it. It's impossible to complete all the commands that I just read. And like I said, I didn't even highlight half of them. Because of this, we cannot please God on our own strength, we cannot please God with our own resources. It's just not possible to do. And this is what makes our passage this morning so beautiful. It's what makes this passage this morning worth getting out in the cold rain and driving to church for of what we're going to hear and see and the truth that we will behold today. Because it falls right in line with verse four of where we're actually going to start reading. Because when we hear all these commands and if you look at verses one through three, you see how sinful you are. It really brings you low. But then verse four steps in and tells us what? But God. And that's the good news. We learn that God stepped in and what I cannot do, I cannot even please him. I, I can't do that, but God has made a way for this to happen. So follow along with me, beginning in verse four. We'll read all the way to 10 and our focus will really be verse eight through 10. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus Starts off there in verse 8, which is our focus, with a single word of grace. Grace. It's something that we need to really grasp and take a hold of this morning after hearing all those commands that I read. Grace, meaning unmerited favor, nothing that you earned, an undeserved gift completely. When it comes to grace, there is one party that gives everything for the other party for simply no reason other than the one who's giving it finds joy in doing it. It's hard for us to think about because you just don't see grace in humanity much ever. If I were to come and do something nice for you, you no doubt would think, What's the catch? Or what do I have to do in return? Or you would feel like you you owe me something. Like a good example. Our staff laughs at me for this. I hate thank you cards and stuff like that. I just despise those things. If I go see your family at the funeral home because a loved one died and I put my name down, don't send me a thank you card. I'm not doing it so that I get a thank you card. I'm not doing it for a a thank you. I'm doing it just out of love and care for you and your family. And I would hope it'd be reciprocated the same way if you came to me. But you know, there's people, I didn't even get a thank you card. I went to that funeral. I wrote my name down. I know my address was right. Didn't get a thank you card. Never helping them again. That's not grace. That's not the definition of, of grace. Grace is simply out of the joy of your own heart doing something completely undeserved for somebody else. This is the word that scripture uses when talking about God in relationship to us. Again, verses one through three of chapter two are so important because it helps us to grasp the immensity of God's grace and how big it really is in our life. When we truly understand how sinful we are, then we truly understand how undeserving we are of God to give us anything, but yet he pours out his grace in your life, even when you were in sin. As Spencer said this morning, He didn't die for fake sinners. He died for sinners of who you were, who you are. And it's undeserving for that to happen. It's undeserving for that to take place. I feel like in church, we say this a lot. We say the grace of God or, or these different phrases. But do we really believe this? Do we really believe it is a big thing that God did in his grace in our life? And I'll even take it a step further. Not only do you believe it, but do you feel it? Do you feel within your spirit just this undeservedness of God's grace which then leads in your life to just praise and worship of him because I don't deserve this but yet I see this truth of grace and it's mine in Christ. Thank you. Thank you. I think we all struggle with that because many of us find it hard each and every Sunday to walk into this room and to worship God how we should. We can get frustrated because somebody said something to us The song we sang we didn't like, a person, whatever, somebody took my seat, somebody smells, whatever, whatever it may be, easily takes us off track to being able to worship God. And I know for me, I get frustrated at myself because I think you mean something so petty, Tim, can get you away from the amazing grace of God in your life. Again, it just shows my incompetence in the way that I can't even do these commands that I read if that's what it takes to please God. But we see it's not. It's in his grace. In his grace, God would send Jesus to die in our place so that we can be found in Christ. When you really think about it, our whole world turns on the grace of God. If it wasn't for the grace of God, you couldn't have walked in here this morning. If it wasn't for the grace of God, you wouldn't have woke up. If it wasn't for the grace of God, this earth wouldn't be spinning and the cosmos function how they're supposed to do. This is God's grace being revealed to us each and every day. And it's only because of his good gift that we do not deserve. But Paul would go on. He doesn't just talk about grace there in verse eight. He says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And so I want to think about faith for a little bit. In one of the books that I have been reading one of the commentaries, the commentator gave three misunderstandings to faith that I want to share with you because I think it is, I think I've come across all these and I think I felt these at times as well to where we think this is faith, but it's really not because we misunderstand what faith really is supposed to be. And so the first one is labeled subjective feelings. What this means is we turn our faith into a gut feeling. I have a gut feeling about this, that it's real. And so I'm going to roll with it. Maybe you've done that with food before. I've done that before with food. You smell it, you look at it, you're like, yeah, it'll be all right. And by faith, you take it, you consume it, and you live with it. Whatever happens, you, you live with it. But you had faith that it was good enough to eat. Or I've met plenty of guys. I just, I just go with my gut, you know? That's, that's what I do. That's how I make decisions. I just, I just roll with what my gut feels like. That's a, that's a fisherman thing. I have a gut feeling they're over there. Probably not. I've, I've come to find they're not. They're not there. But we just have a gut feeling. That's not what faith is that the Bible is speaking about. Or, another misunderstanding, is Credulity. We're willing to believe anything simply because we want it to be true or we hope it is true, regardless of evidence. This is plastered across the headlines everywhere. Uh, I have faith in this, even though evidence says everything to the contrary, but my faith tells me it's, it's good. And so by faith, I'm going to do this. And I'm not making fun of one side. It goes on both sides of the aisle. And we've done this in our life as well. Men, we're really good at this. I know where I'm going, all right? I know how to get there. Well, the map says you've turned the wrong way. Nah, no, nope, didn't happen, not, not happening. It's really a dumb faith. This is what I'm talking about with this word. It's a dumb faith. All the evidence points to something else completely, but you just want to believe it. I want it to be true, and so I'm just gonna try to get it to be true. The last misunderstanding of faith is Optimism. We think if we believe in it so hard then we can make it a reality. There's books out on this, very popular books called The Power of Positive Thinking. Maybe it's a book, books that you've read before. And I'm saying there's nothing, there's, I think positive thinking is good. I'm not saying anything negative about it, but we act as if that is going to change the course of our life. I like sports and one of the things I like to watch are drafts. I like to see like the NFL draft, the NBA draft. And it never fails. I've never seen them interview somebody in the NFL draft and say, well, how do you think you're gonna do? Not very good, man. I mean, in college, I really faked it, and they bought it, and I'm not going to do really well. Or, you know, this team I got drafted on, which sadly we could say about our own team, the Lions, I'm not going to do good here. They don't say that. No matter if it was the first pick or the last pick, they all say the same thing. They've never seen a person like me. I'm going to work so hard, I'm going to make it a reality. It is going to happen. People have doubted me my whole life but I am going to be the best. I'm going to be the best there's ever been. And sadly, that's just not true. Most of them do not work. You you can have the most positive attitude at all, but when you come across that guy that's stronger than you, you're going to get knocked out. And that's all there is to it. And so positivity can take you some places, but it's only going to take you so far. See, these are misunderstandings, I think, of Faith that often creep their way into church life, that creep into the life of individuals as they want to believe about God or trust in God or there's a misunderstanding. And this isn't what faith is. Charles Spurgeon, great Baptist preacher from long ago, said there are three elements to faith that we need to understand. The first one is knowledge. In Romans chapter 10, verse 14, Paul would write, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe on him and who they have not heard? How are they to hear without somebody preaching? Even earlier, what we read in Ephesians, Paul would talk about the need to know him, to know him more and how this would increase our hope. Faith in Jesus. When the Bible talks about this faith in Jesus, it's not talking about some blind, dumb faith. It's not talking about you believing in a faith that your mom and your dad believed in and that's why you believe it to be true. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a faith that actually is based on knowledge, that is based on an understanding of who God is and what He has done in Jesus and what Jesus has accomplished for us. There's a there's actually an understanding there that needs to happen and needs to be known, and this is important. I've been thankful to see some parents in our congregation recently really grasping onto this. They come to us about their kids being baptized. And we talk to them about that and we say, Do your kids know? Do they know what you're talking about when you talk to them about baptism? When you talk to them about Jesus and salvation? I'm not talking about a big seminary degree or anything. Do they know what baptism means? I have a big problem. When you bring a kid to my office, why do you want to get baptized? I want to go to heaven. Sorry, kids, you're out. In my eyes, you're out. Because that is a misunderstanding. That is not what baptism is, it doesn't get you into heaven. That's not the purpose of it. And so they need to know more. Like I said, I've been thankful to see some parents walking their kids to help them to know more so they can be assured and know this is who Jesus is. This is who my foundation is found on. And so the first key element of faith is knowledge. But knowledge isn't enough. Because there's all kinds of people who have a lot of knowledge about the Bible, but they do not believe it to be true. And this is the second thing that is important when it comes to our faith, is belief. We don't just know these things about God, know these things about Jesus, but we believe it. We believe it in our heart. And now here's the difficult part, I think, for a lot of people to understand. This is the part of faith that is the work of God in your life. You can't do anything about this. You can't force yourself to believe it. You can't. You, you can't do it. God has to do this work in your life. As, as you read about him, as you learn about him, as you hear about him, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to crack your heart. Your hard heart. It is the work of God to crack your hard heart, to open your eyes to belief, to say, I believe this. I believe Jesus was born. I believe he died on a cross. I believe he was buried, but I believe he's no longer there. Why? Because he rose again and he's ascended on high. I actually, as absurd as this sounds, I believe that actually happened. I believe it. This is a work that God does for us. But then believe moves on even from there to trust. I don't don't only believe it to be true, but I am actually staking trust Everything on it. All of who I am, all of what I believe, all that I know, all of my hopes, all of my dreams. My hope of eternity is 100% in the person of Jesus Christ and the work that he's accomplished. I don't only know about him, but I believe it and I trust it with every ounce of me. Every ounce of me. That's what faith is here in Scripture. It is a full reliance on God. In John chapter 20, verse 26 through 29, we have an interesting encounter with Jesus. After he's died, he rose again with his disciple Thomas. It says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is faith. This is faith being placed out. We like to, we like to get on Thomas's case, but Thomas actually had a, a pretty decent thing to stand on. I want to know that this is true. I want to see this. I saw him die. I need to see that he's actually alive. And then what does he do? He sees that he's alive and he believes and he doesn't just believe, he placed all of his trust in him. Lord, you are my Lord. And we see a beautiful picture here of faith by the grace of God in his life. So when we look at this thing of faith, we get to the next section of verse eight. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I think the obvious question would be, how is this the case when I must have faith? If there's no works as a part of it, faith kind of sounds like a work. That's something that I'm doing here. How can this be true? Well, I appeal back to Spurgeon again and a quote that he has in a sermon on this section of scripture. I think this is very helpful, and so I hope that you'll listen to it and understand it. He says, grace is the first and last moving cause of salvation in faith. Important as it is, is only an important part of the machinery which grace employs. We are saved through faith, but it is by grace. Sound forth those words as with the archangel's trumpet. By grace you are saved. Faith occupies the position of a channel or conduit. Grace is the fountain and the stream. Faith is the aqueduct along which the flood of mercy flows down to refresh the thirsty sons of men. Still, I again remind you that faith is the channel or the aqueduct and not the fountainhead. We must not look so much to faith as to exalt it above the divine sources of all blessings which lie in the grace of God. Never make a Christ out of your faith, nor think of it as if it were the independent source of your salvation. Our life is found in looking unto Jesus, not looking to our own faith. By faith, all things become possible to us. Yet the power is not in the faith, but in the God upon whom faith relies. I don't know about you, but for me, this is so refreshing. I shared with you last week how I was saved at a young age, and so seeing a big change in my life and all this stuff is difficult. And the word faith is a difficult word for me because all I remember is faith. That's all I've remembered for my whole life is some sort of faith. But now in my life, faith seems to go up here and then down here and then up here again and then down here and then it goes like this for a while and then it goes down again. And it's just a weight on me. It's always just been this really big weight on me. And the problem is I've oftentimes put my faith in my faith, not in Christ Jesus. You see, when my faith is in Christ Jesus, not in my own faith and how much I can believe, But it's on him and the things that he's done. Then it's cemented on the truth of what he has done and accomplished. Then I can rest on the fact that on the cross, Jesus would say, it is finished. And he means that for me. It's not about me fulfilling all these commands. It's not about me doing all this stuff. No, it's about the grace that he has imparted to me through faith. And it's a gift that he has given us. This allows all of us in this room to be united together not by the color of our skin, not by how much money we make, not by what political party we follow, but we come in here united under Christ, in Christ, that he has shed his grace on us. For some reason, he has done that, and we thank him for it, and we glorify him for it. And so my merits are meaningless when it comes to my salvation. My, my partnership is unbreakable, It's not based on me. My partnership with you, unbreakable. Why? Because we're in Christ together. You can say bad things about me. I can say bad things about you. We can do things that hurt each other. That will not separate us, not only from the love of Christ, but it doesn't separate us from each other either. But it continues on. Look at verse 10. And we're almost done. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want you to think about that for a moment. If you've been saved by His grace, you are His workmanship. This is an astounding statement. Now, I have to think about this in some different lights because I've been redoing my kitchen, and oftentimes when I step back and look at my work, I think, man, I should have called somebody. But when we look at the handiwork of God, we look at creation. We look at how he would create all things and then he would say, this is good. And we've experienced that. We've seen the works of his hands. We know the works that he does. And yet, God would look upon me, a sinner, unworthy. But what he would bestow upon me is he would call me his workmanship. His glorious and his perfect work. This is a far cry from verse one through three, but only five verses later, six, seven verses later, because of the grace of God, I'm called his workmanship. Perfect, complete, in Christ, 100%. I'm not missing anything. He's made me perfect. Every screw is where it should be. Everything is notched up and lined up. It is exactly perfect. Why, because of me? No, but because of him, He's imparted that grace in my life. This is the work of God in us simply because he loves us and to do these things for his glory and for his praise. It's interesting that this verse tells us we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In 2 Corinthians chapter five, which I think is a good parallel passage, it says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God saves us by his grace, but he also makes us this new creation. And because of him, because of this new creation that he has made me into, I now can serve him faithfully. As I read all these commands... Again, I want you to feel the weight of it. But I also want you to understand this today. If you are a Christian, if you've been saved by the grace of God, you actually can do these by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not for your salvation. Please hear that. Not for your salvation. But by the power of God, you actually can do these for his glory and for his praise. Now you say, Tim, you just threw all that weight back on me. No, that's not my point. You're not going to accomplish all those. There's no way. There's no way. You can't do it. I can't do it. And we know that. That's why we live in grace every single day. That's why the gospel message is so important to us every single day. But yet we do see that we are called to serve him. We are called to honor him. right? We are, we are called to obey him and obey his commands. And I have the ability to do this. Why? Because the power of the Holy Spirit lives in me to be able to obey His commands. And again, the key is I do it for His praise, not for my salvation. I do it for His glory, not for His grace, because I can't earn His grace. It's an undeserved gift. So now, so we now know that when God saves someone, They will do this work. Why? Because he has prepared it for them before the foundations of the earth. Christians are different. I said that last week too. There is a change in our life. I would be concerned if I went through all these lists and I said, I've never gotten better at any of these. That's a problem because God does change us. I should be able to follow these better. I should be striving to do that again for his glory and for his praise, I think of Philippians chapter two, verse 12 through 13, and we'll close with this. Paul would write, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Many of people have took this passage and twisted it to make us think that we have to work for our salvation. But it's as if they forget that that doesn't end there, that verse doesn't end there. It says, yeah, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you. It is God who works in both to will and to work. Why? For his good pleasure. Brothers and sisters, fellow family members, Christians, we exist on this earth to glorify God in everything we say and everything we do. We exist on this earth to enjoy him forever. Do you feel that? Do you believe that? Is that how you live? I'm afraid for most of us, we tend to live just according to these commandments. And we base all of our worth and our faith and our relationship to God based on how well we're doing those commandments. You come in here pumped up because you read your Bible every day this week. But next week, you come in here pretty down because when you look at your phone, you see your streak on the Bible app ended and you didn't read your Bible every day this week. And so you just don't feel it. It's not based on that. It's not based on that. God loves you because Christ died for you. That's why he loves you. And the work is finished and the work is complete. And we now work together to serve him, to honor him, to love him for the praise of his glory because of his great grace in our life. I'd be remiss if I didn't say there are those of you this morning you haven't experienced the grace of God. You do not know him. You do not believe him. You have not trusted in him. You sit here and you know the stories. You know the stories of the Bible. Maybe you were even taught him as a kid. But you haven't trusted in him. You, You haven't believed in him. And I would ask, I would plead like Paul would say. If you feel the call of the Holy Spirit this morning saying this is true, would you embrace that by faith? Trusting, knowing that God's good grace is planned for you. You can do that. Again, there's nothing special about it. It's just the things of faith I said. Know, believe, and trust. Trust in him, and you'll be saved by his grace. That's good news. Let's bow together. Let's pray this morning, and then we'll sing a song and give you guys opportunity to respond to the word of God this morning. God, I, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the truth of it. God, I pray that we would hold it close to our heart as Christians, that we would wear it on our sleeve, that it would be something that we think about. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God, I'm so glad that your plans are better than mine. I'm glad that your ways are much higher than mine. And God, even though I'm not perfect, I'm not the Christian that I should be in the sense of being sinless, obeying all the time, being perfect. God, I I fall so short of that so often, but yet your word continues to reorient me, to show me. My foundation is not on me and my good works. My foundation is on the finished work of Christ, which cannot be moved or shaken. And God, I have no doubt that people need to hear that over and over and over again. God, I pray for those Christians this morning who continue to waver in their faith because their foundation isn't cemented on you fully. It's not cemented on the finished work of Christ, but it's cemented on how well they can be this week, how good they can be, God, I hope that that you would help them to see the fallacy in that. Yes, we want to honor you. We want to do the good works that you've prepared before us, before the foundations of the world. We want to do those things. And God, I pray that as Christians, we would see you working in our lives, getting better at those things, honoring you and, and praising you and worshiping you. But God, remind us often, please, that our salvation, your grace, is not based on that. That that work is finished, complete, and final. And God, I pray that we would feel that weight lifted, the shame and the guilt. They're how it should be, but gone when it comes to our salvation. God, again, I'm just thankful for you doing a work that I could not do. I'm thankful that you unite us together, that there is no boasting allowed amongst us because, again, it's... It's the work of Christ. And so God, I pray that we'd be bold to proclaim that. It seems foolish, I know, to many people, but it's the truth of your word. And so help us to be bold. Help us to be willing to declare that to others, that yes, it's all on Jesus and what he's done, what he's accomplished, what he's finished. God, so that we can be a part of that ministry of reconciliation that Paul talks about there, Corinthians. God, help us now to respond to your word how we should. Help us to sing this song with praise and gratitude. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing together. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.